Hello, Katawan Tokyo. Here come the Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up... I suffered, and I'm finally getting hurt, and look what I'm looking at as, as, as a redress. The Methodist Church of New Zealand apologises to abuse survivors at the Royal Commission of Inquiry hearing. Also... I think the timing was right. Um, it was uh, a way to tell your whole story. We tell our to Dame Valerie Adams, one of the world's most celebrated shot put athletes, about her new feature documentary, More Than Gold. And later on... We really appreciate the, the foresight and the work and the dream of our forefathers and mothers and families that helped made it happen. The Wellington Samoa Rugby Union are preparing to celebrate their 50th anniversary this weekend. Before we get into all of that, a brief update on the political situation in Vanuatu. A second coalition has now emerged following last week's election. This one involves the Vanuaku Party, the Rural Development Party, the Lauko Group, the National United Party, the People's Unity Development Party and the Reunification of the Movement for Change, or some members of these parties. A number including the RMC are also party to the pact signed by the earlier coalition grouping. The leaders of that first grouping, which is in camp at the Sunset Bungalow Resort, claim they retain the numbers for a majority in the 52-member house. The Methodist Church of New Zealand has apologised to abuse survivors at an Abuse in Care Royal Commission of Inquiry hearing. Wesley College is one of New Zealand's oldest schools, founded in 1844 by the Methodist Church. At the same hearing, Wesley College representatives reaffirmed their apology. A warning, this story may be distressing for some listeners. Lydia Lewis reports. Rugby star Sekope Kepu, who represented Wesley College's Tongan community on the expert witness panel, has spoken out about the abuse he endured at the school as a 13-year-old. And to put it in perspective, everyone would go to bed at night, 8.30 lights out, a chip pack would, would rattle or someone would whisper and the, the dorm prefect at the time would call out my name, Sekope, get to the middle. And at the time, you, you sort of roll with it. You go with that. But then it happened night after night. The Wesley College old boy hopes to break the no narking culture, a culture of silence. It was only recently that I shared with my, my mother and my parents about this experience, and they were livid purely because they loved the school so much and they thought that it taught me the values that I, 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 I carry with me now. He says there is no place for abuse in any school. I just don't want that to happen to anybody. And I see my sons now that are 10 and 9. No way would I ever want them to go through that experience as a 13-year-old. Who knows what, what, you know, like... And that's why I am so passionate about this, because I have boys, I have children, I have a daughter, and I want them to never experience any of that. Survivor William Wilson was at the school in 1991 and 1992. He is of Scottish and Samoan descent. I spent almost two years at a boarding school that tortured me physically, mentally, and some, some of it was sexually. He says the beatings at Wesley College left him with hearing loss, depression, PTSD and railroaded his chances at obtaining an education. I suffered, and I'm finally getting hurt, 
and look what I'm looking at as as, as a redress. Uh, I, I'm unhappy, but at the same time, at least it's getting acknowledged, at least that the um, future kids, it's going to stop. And that, that, that's a good thing. All of, all of the bullying is going to stop. I, I feel it, and it's it, it, although it's still happening, it will stop. Decades on, the school is still facing serious challenges. He was told to cover his face, and he was beaten by a large number, large group of boys, whilst they chanted the Wesley Way. Mm. And that is this year. So there is still that element, still that culture there at the school. Would you agree? There's absolutely still the culture there. Um, it's a big challenge. The school's principal, Dr Brian Evans, says the Wesley Way is not a tradition people should be proud of. He says his school is undergoing cultural renovation. Representatives from both the church and college have made a commitment to the outcome of the Royal Commission. The church carries the primary responsibility for ensuring the protection and well-being of those in its care. We failed in the sacred duty and are determined to make amends. On behalf of the Methodist Church of Aotearoa, New Zealand, we apologize to every person who has been abused while in the care of the church and its related institutions. Such abuse has no place in our faith, and we apologize unequivocally, unequivocally to all those survivors. The General Secretary of the Methodist Church, Reverend Tara Tautari, says in November, Korero on Tikanga Māori and Pacifica approaches to safeguarding children, young people and vulnerable adults and the establishment of a connectional safeguarding team is to take place at a conference which is the highest governing body of the church. Dame Valerie Adams, one of the world's most celebrated shot-put athletes whose career has fascinated and inspired many, is opening up her life journey on the big screen in what is described as the most candid and vulnerable she's ever been in the public eye. Dame Valerie's feature documentary, More Than Gold, is in cinemas now and is centred around the Tongan Kiwi's preparation for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. However, the film touches on Ms. Adams' struggles with balancing her role as mum, as well as past memories of hardships, loss and relationships. ANZ Pacific's Susanna Suisuiki spoke with Dame Valerie Adams exclusively to learn more about her film. Malolele, Dame Valerie, we're very grateful to have this talano with you about your feature documentary, More Than Gold. Mm-hmm. You've done an autobiography, you've championed a lot of causes, and of course your sporting career has been on the media for a large part of your life. Mm. So what made you decide to do a film? Uh, I think the timing was right. Um, It was uh, a way to tell your whole story. Because what the media, uh, I guess, tells or or how they write your story is from their perspective or what you've kind of told them, but it's not exactly what truly goes on behind closed doors or what really is happening in, in, in one's life. And... 
um, my, my documentary really um, brings people into that journey and takes people on that journey throughout my life from the very start to now, really. So it was a good option to do that, but also uh, the youth of today don't read as much as they used to back in the day. Back in 2012, I, there was a book, I wrote a book, and it was great at the time. And nowadays, they don't, they're mainly on the screen, so what a better way to tell your story than having it on the big screen. Do you see yourself as a role model or did you feel there was pressure to be one once you started succeeding in shop book? Um, I think you're just automatically put into that position, right? You know, because of um, I, where, where I come from, my upbringing, you know, all the rest of the stigma behind, you know, South Auckland is like this, that and the other. I think it was just a natural progression into that role. Um, and I do take some type of responsibility to making sure I do set a good example and that I am that role model to, to so that young women and also young men that have the same upbringing as I do can see that and say, okay, there is a way out, we can do this, you know, there is something better out there, but they shouldn't let where they come from and how they've been brought up define who they are. At the end of the day, it's up to them to grasp whatever talent or passion or love they have and, you know, be prepared to work for it because, you know, the world is bigger than just South Auckland, absolutely, but you never forget where you come from. You know, where I come from definitely um, has contributed to, to who I am today and I'm very proud of where I come from, but equally it's for me as trying to break that bias and going out there and trying to get something bigger and better for my, for my children in particular. In the movie, you described your mum as your light and yeah. you promised her that you'd follow your dreams. What do you think she'll say if she was to see the woman that you've become today? I only hope she's proud of me, to be honest. Um, I really um, think that she'll be, you know, pretty happy with, with how everything turned out. I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have let me got married the first time, that's for sure. <laughs> but that was just a, a, a survival mode for me at the time. But I, I'm pretty sure that she'll be pretty happy and, and proud. And now, you know, that I'm a mum of two and, and I'm 38 now, she, was, she died at 39. You can't help but reflect back on what her life was like as the 38, 39 year old where we were in, in, in our time or our lives. I was 15, my kids are only three and five. Um, now that I'm a mum, I didn't realise I had the ability to to hurt people until I became a mother because that love is so strong and like no other that you would protect your little pups, you know, come hell or high water. And I want to be that example that my mum, to them, like my mum set for me, you know. So that's all I could take from it. But I really am uh, so grateful for her teachings and how she brought us up specifically within the Tongan culture, you know, because that's really um, a big part of my life and it's so important to me. Last question, Val. Um, what do you want audiences to take away from your film, in particular, young Pacifica women? Mm -hmm. hmm. I guess uh, there's a lot of challenges that people face in life, and there's a lot of challenges that the youth face in life right now. And the society is hard. Society is really mean sometimes, and quite difficult. I want them to to know that they are valued, that they are loved, but also. Um, to set them goals, you know, look for something bigger and better that they want to do in life, you know, what they see around them, don't settle for less than, you know, because they are worth more than that. I really just want to share my story to, so people to see the nitty gritty parts of it, the raw parts of it, the tra you know, the challenges, the trauma and all the rest of it, but also see you work through that, that, that journey and those obstacles that come out the other end. It's not always pretty and... Um, Sports people or celebrities have always been put up on a pedestal that their life is so perfect. As you saw in the movie, it's far from that, you know. And when it is perfect, it's a very short period of time because it's like a great celebration, yada, 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 and then you get back into reality real quick. But that's just life. You grow with it, you move with it, and you always got to look for progress. Absolutely look for progress along the way. So 
someone gave me a really good um, uh, advice a few years ago, uh, and they always, and the advice that I kind of really, really love was actually you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And in life, you're going to be put in very uncomfortable situations. So you got to kind of change your mind to be like, I'm, I'm cool being here, even though you're not, and work through those very awkward situations because it's just going to make you a, a stronger and more confident and better person. The Wellington Samoa Rugby Union is preparing to celebrate its 50th anniversary this weekend. As part of the celebrations, a huge Pacific Community Rugby event is being hosted at Porirua Park. Moira Tuilaipa Taylor has the story. In 1972, the Wellington Samoa Rugby Union was formed. It's not only the oldest Samoan rugby organisation in Aotearoa, but it was also the first Pacific Rugby Union established in New Zealand. Its current president is Ken Akoi. We're still going strong, so that's that's uh, a milestone in itself, and uh, we really appreciate the the foresight and the work and the dream of our forefathers and mothers and families that helped made it happen. That's that's where we are now, that's because of their work. He says the founding members of the union were not only passionate about rugby, but also about their Samoan heritage. It's maintaining language and culture, and we do that. And all our teams, and uh, we say a lot before games and they sing songs in the, and then learn the haka as well. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing for the union is to maintain the language and culture. Ken Akoi says it has gone through many changes over the years, including having women's teams in the union. Porido City Councillor and former Black Fern Izzy Ford says the union story is an important one for Pacific communities. If you can imagine their story was they were migrants who had just come into uh, New Zealand trying to find uh, commonality with their teams and they were struggling to get onto any club team and so the Wellington Samoan brand or, or club was formed as a result. She says the union has helped so many young people shine over the years. Because at the time there were a lot of our Pacific Island kids who were not getting selected for higher honours and so this was a way to actually give them an opportunity, get out, show that they were actually capable of representing at that level and then go on to higher honours. She says the union have definitely played a part in enriching the fabric of Wellington rugby. Nine Pacific Aotearoa rugby teams are travelling to Puriroa from the Auckland, Waikato and Bay of Plenty regions to take part in the Wellington Samoa Rugby Union celebrations. There are 20 teams all together in the event. Ati Aifo Olivia is the director of Pacific Islands Rugby and he's put together the Pacific Aotearoa teams. Pacific Aotearoa? was actually formed to be able to bring Pacific communities together, but also invite non-Pacifica to come into the Pacific environment. So we've got uh, Māori, majority Samoans, Tongans and uh, Fijians and uh, other Pacific. He says the response to the event has been extremely positive. As soon as we got the call out to, to Pacific communities around the North Island, they were like, yep, we're down um, as long as we can make, make it happen for all the teams. And it's awesome to bring people from all over the North Island, really, to come in and celebrate celebrate the purpose. He says it started with a zero budget, but so many people and organisations from around the country have offered their support. 
The event will be at Porirua Park. Its mayor is Anita Baker. This event is absolutely fantastic in Porirua. Perfect place at Porirua Park, right in the middle of um, the east. Um, and it'll bring everybody into the city and let everyone come in free. Izzy Ford says the Wellington Samoa Rugby Union has strong links with Porirua Park. Some of the early committee members were Petty and Alec Ono, who were massive stalwarts of North's club, and they were Jerry Collins's uncles. So, you know, the fact that it's being played here at Jerry Collins Stadium um, in the 50th year is massive. The one-day event is free and open to the public. It was preceded by an anniversary dinner for the community on Thursday. Also happening this weekend in Aotearoa, Auckland plays host to a festival celebrating Melanesian cultures in New Zealand, which has been in the works for 20 years. The Melanesian Festival is taking place this Saturday on October the 22nd, and although it's been a long time coming, organisers say it was all in good timing. Susana Suisuiki reports. There are around 23,000 Melanesians living in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Fijians make up the bulk of the population, but there are also Nivanuatuans, Solomon Islanders, Papua New Guineans, West Papuans and Canucks from New Caledonia. The founder and director of the Melanesian Festival, Joanna Monolangi, says after years of planning and lots of patience, it's wonderful the event is finally happening. From the people that I have spoken to through this planning, uh, they have um, come and, and voice their, um, their feelings to me, uh, their views, that um, this, it's been a long time coming. They've been praying and waiting for something to, to showcase uh, Melanesia. Nivanuatu and Melanesian community advocate Lena Isno says the festival will put a spotlight on cultures in the Pacific that often go unnoticed within New Zealand. A part of the Pacific that is so under-recognised and under spoken about, especially in the culture of New Zealand. We deserve that recognition. We deserve to be talked about. The festival will include food stores, arts and craft displays and, of course, cultural performances. One of the groups which will be performing is the Papuan Student Association Oceania, led by Lawrence Ikenia. Mr Ikenia says he's grateful to the event organisers who have worked tirelessly to give the Melanesian community a platform. It's incredible how uh, they put the commitments and all the endeavours just to make this event happen. It's quite sad. Uh, to see that uh, this year is going to be the first celebrations, but you know, on the other hand, a great acknowledgement for Melanesian community who are living in Aotearoa. Mrs. Monolangi says she spent years working to get everything to fall into place, and she is determined, and now it's all coming to fruition, that this weekend's festival won't be a one-off. Uh, there's uh, room to move. There's, uh, you know, I think uh, just this short time I've experienced the interest not just here in Auckland, but uh, I've recently just come back from Wellington and um, they look forward to coming up as well this weekend to celebrate with us. The Melanesian Festival will take place this Saturday, 22nd October from 9am to 5pm at the Waitemata Rugby Club grounds in Henderson, Auckland. And briefly before we go, the Cook Islands got the better of Wales in their opening game of the Rugby League World Cup on Wednesday, narrowly winning by 18 points to 12. Wales dominated possession in the first half and led 12-8 at half-time before the Cook Islands rallied in the second half, scoring two unanswered tries. Cook Islands head coach Tony Iro called it a hard-earned win. 
That was tough, um, and, and it'll only get tougher. You know, like uh, Papua New Guinea's uh, next on the list. Um, they're a real physical side, so uh, we'll lick our wounds and uh, recover and get back into it. The Cook Islands will take on Papua New Guinea in their next game while Wales play Tonga. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and look in your next time more.